Introducing Minor Wisdom Quintet. So this week on episode seven, I've got Jim Johnson from the University of Houston. He is a full-time professor there. He's been there for 18 years, but been in education for much longer than that. The guy specializes in vocal work. You can see him or hear him on accenthelp.com. A lot of people use that resource. It is super cheap, super reasonable, super awesome. That's not a plug. That's just because I've used it, as you can tell by my very neutral voice. But normally I sound very, very country because I am from the east part of Texas. But because of Jim Johnson, I'm able to put on this normal American voice and please the audience. Yes, thank you very much. Good time for that cymbal crash. Anyway, Jim is on the uh, podcast with me during the interview. You will definitely hear my kids in the background. Don't worry about that. They were left with mommy. I wasn't neglecting them. They are screaming quite a bit. Even Jim made reference to it at some point, but I might have even edited that out. Also, a new segment today. Got a little minor wisdom from a minor minor. Showing off my daughter, Avalyn. Uh, and after that, you'll hear the groaner joke of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy these two segments along with Mr. Jim Johnson. Minor wisdom from a minor minor. If you're not willing to step up the, to the plate, don't complain when you can't hit a home run. This week's joke, why did the broom always get a poor grade in school? Because it was sweeping during class. So once again, Jim Johnson is on the podcast this week. Please forgive the sound. I could not tell him that his beard was causing issue with the microphone. And Jim, when you listen to this, I can't wait for you to shave that beard, buddy. It'll make podcasts sound so much better. Well, good. How you been? I know you, you've been busy. I, I see yeah. that on, on social media. So, okay. So you've been working with this kind of Game of Thrones live action um, yeah. reaction, I guess. But uh, and it's And it's to promote the... You know, because they need. I'm. I'm. Nobody they knows that the so final season's coming out. I mean, no, it's really funny to me. Well, I guess I went into it thinking they got to be setting up something to come after this, and then I was talking to somebody there because I'm. I'm pretty clueless about the whole Game of Thrones thing. Um, but I was talking to somebody there, uh, and they said, "Oh, there is indeed. There's plans for a prequel. I guess." Ah. Which I didn't know. I'm sure that everybody who follows it closely knows this. Uh, some kind of a prequel or an offshoot or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I my wife and I are big fans, but no, we didn't know anything about uh, a prequel. But that, I mean, capitalize on as much as you can, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, why not? And it was really cool that they were doing this because it was a tie-in with um, with the American Red Cross Oh. For, for blood donations. Okay. So it's a very cool, I mean, I really appreciate that they're doing this thing. Um you know, they're investing their money and efforts into blood donations. And apparently blood donations really skyrocketed during this time leading up to it. So that's really good. I keep getting calls for the place where I donate here in town that's that's like, okay, hey, um, 
are you available to come in? You know, we really yeah. need. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. Um, what you said you've been working on it for about a month. Well, I was I was coaching a show at Stages for a, a little while. That was a little bit intense. It right. was a to work on though. And then as I was kind of winding down with this, with that show, that's when I got hired on this gig. Um, and so the show is like 41 um, actors and it's, you know, four different accents because there's the, there's the, like the people from the north yeah. and then there's estuary for the London sort of sound, for the Lannisters, that sort of thing. And then there's the, um, excuse me, the Valyrian priestesses, the red priestesses, and they were doing speaking Valyrian with a Greek accent. And we were doing their English with a Greek accent. And then they decided, like the day of tech, they decided, no, let's switch them over to, to uh, London as well. And then there's the Dothraki, who yeah. are speaking largely Dothraki. But when they speak English, we're, we were basing that in Arabic. And the Valyrian, we were basing in Greek. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's... Uh... It yeah, I, I wish they had hired a professional, but yeah, I guess they if got... Only, yeah. If only, but you know, they settled for me, and I'm grateful. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It's good we'll, to uh, see you, even, if it's, through a, even yeah. if it's through a camera here. Hey, this is this is the way we do it now. This is <laughs> this is how we it make is. eye contact, yeah. <laughs> this is how I did uh, coaching with most of the Game of Thrones people. Oh, really? Where we went in. And I, Where were those like, people from? Where are they from? They were from all over. They were L.A. I mean, there were some from Houston area. So they're American. Twin brothers from Pearland. <laughs> twin brothers, and their names were John and Jonathan. <laughs> wow. So their parents named them that. Well, they were both the firstborn boys, and so that and the father's name was John. It was something that was carried down. Right. So that was how they ended up doing. Did it. they expect and twins? It sounds like what happened is that yeah, one I came don't know out. If they were yeah, and then the yeah, second one came I out, know. and they were like, "Screw it, we'll just name him Jonathan." Yeah. Yep. John, <laughs> Jonathan. Yep. And great guys, but they were from all over. There were there were folks from Atlanta, from New York, from uh, I mean, there were a number of locals from from Texas, Dallas, right. uh, Austin, um, San Antonio, Houston, but uh, like some couple guys from New Mexico who drove over. A um, bunch of it bunch of LA people because the director does a lot of live events in LA. Okay. So he used a bunch of his people from there. Do you remember when we met? No, okay. I do not. We first met when when you were Billy Bishop and Billy Bishop goes to war at Unity Theater. That was yeah. back in like 2003 or 4. But uh and and I just remember meeting you. I, I had no idea who you were. Uh still uh -huh. still feel the same way, but uh <laughs> <laughs> But and yeah, you know that you don't want to know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I, I know enough to get me in trouble. Um, but uh, yeah, that's the first time you and I met. So that was uh, that's that's the history there. And then uh, the other story that I remember about you, and I mean, I've, I've, there, there were more moments between you and I, uh, but in this time period. However, the yeah. the the only thing that I remember very vividly that I even tell my students is. Uh, and I don't know if this is still the case. You but don't tell them about the drug hazes. And I, all that no, stuff, right? I don't tell them anything about that. No, yeah, I don't tell them anything about that. that. But they, uh, they, they, they just kind of assume. <laughs> but uh, the uh, we the undergrads used to do like a little end of the year, uh, like a showcase, pretty much, right? Yeah. But it was yeah. uh, we did those lunch. I forget what we called them, but um, back then, but it was those little like yeah. lunch performances, right? Yeah. Nothing nothing uh official and i was at the time i think i was dating pam hollandhead 
Ah, okay? yeah. And I she was in on the on the on the bit, but I said I want to uh, just pay homage to the great Jim Johnson. My performance is uh, is just in recognition of all of his teachings. And I never took one of your classes. I I had you. <laughs> You know, I, I had you through productions. I, I knew how you worked, and yeah. we got to know each other through yeah. through shows. But I never took your classes, so I didn't have to sit through that that bore. But <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> but I, I got up there and I said, I, I, "Anybody have a Shakespearean piece, anything?" And Pam pulled out. Of course, she did. She she loved Doctor Berger, but she pulled out a, a full anthology of Shakespeare's work, and I started yeah. reading a sonnet. And I said that I'm going to do it in my best Irish accent and just butchered it to the point where it became Scottish. And I just remember um, you laughing. I think it's the first time I made you genuinely laugh. I think every time before that was a pity laugh. But <laughs> but, but it was it was just really Kinda fun. Kind of like your marriage. Yeah, exactly. Marriage. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, you, yeah. you, you were a good read of character. Um, so it was, I just, those two, those two moments really stick out for me uh in the in the world of jim johnson yeah um so and that's what i like to call it the world the, of the world jim of jim johnson, johnson. <laughs> yeah that's what's tattooed on your back yeah uh just a just a big Yo, fit. you've seen that as well of yeah course, back we were dropping out. Yes. <laughs> so uh back to content that people care about so you have yeah. how long have you been running accent help the, the actual uh, website. I think it's just over 10 years now. I kind of got it started in 2006, so I guess that'd be 12 or 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. But then I think it really, really kind of got started. I think it maybe went live online right at the end of 2007. So I guess that'd be just like uh, 11 years, 11 and a half years or something like that. Okay, yeah. cool. And, yeah. and how, when did it uh, start to take off? I mean, because I, I know it's it's done well for you. Uh, but yeah. I can't imagine day one it was. Oh no 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 yeah. no! It was sort of like, yay! Somebody got an accent, you know, and, and it was sort of like, oh my god, two people this month got, yeah. you know. In the beginning, it was that, and then, um, and then, uh, boy, I don't even know. I suppose it feels like it was three years later. Things started okay. rolling, um, uh, just rolling a little bit more, and then funnily enough, like the last this past year has been. Uh, an even bigger has been the biggest year by far. Yeah. Had a really nice jump, and sometimes I don't know why, but I know that I had a I had a nice gain when I did a big redesign of the website a few years ago. Um, yeah, something like that. But it's it's hard to say. And I just got, um, uh, you know, foolishly the university shifted me over to being a full professor this year. Yeah. And largely that was based on. The work on abs accent help almost exclusively really because that's, that's the thing that people know who i am a little bit now the generic name jim johnson you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah nobody in the world has that name yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah so yeah. and then and what did you so now you you kind of you've made it again very publicly known on social media about your van your that you're traveling around <laughs> You know, and uh, yeah, my, my accent wagon. Your, I think is that I what called this the other day, and somebody loved that, so I think I'm gonna hold on to that. Uh, so you, your accent wagon uh, that yeah. you have kind of gutted and and made into a tiny little uh, a new. It's, it's still bigger than a New York apartment, but it's it's yes, it is. Yeah, of course it is. Um, with the luxury of wheels, but yeah. uh, before you did that, 
before you had that convenience or that you made yeah. that kind of sacrifice, that commitment, what were you doing? Were you flying places? Were you driving everywhere? I, I know you, you were know, still doing stuff. There was a stuff. variety of things. Because I've had lots of students who've done recordings over the years, too. Um, but yeah, I would do... The whole thing kind of got started back in like 2003. I had gotten a new faculty research grant from UH, and I thought maybe Accents is a direction that I want to go. And so I actually used that money and a bunch of my own to go to England. And I spent about a month traveling around and recording people in England, Wales, and Scotland. And um, that was like only the second time I'd been overseas. Um, and the first time had been a school trip thing where my wife and I both happened to be in a sh in Streetcar Named Desire when we were in school. And it went to Japan as an exchange thing. Like, mm. And I barely feel like I'd been out of Iowa before then. Um, and so, uh, so that trip made me go, oh, this is, this is kind of a cool thing. It really didn't add up to anything at that point because I had no idea what I was, where I was headed, you know? Right. Um, and then it was talking with this friend of mine, Kate DeVore, about, you know, we should do maybe a dialect textbook because we were kind of disappointed at what was available in those days. And so we'd been mulling this over and we worked on it a little bit. And then it kind of kicked into gear when I had an awakening. Um, I actually went to this workshop. Um, I can't quite remember what the name of it was, but it was, it was like a business workshop. And what occurred to me was like this formula that I got in my head from that about, well, what are you good at that there's a market for um, that you enjoy doing? And then ideally, because I was not making much money at the university. I mean, we were stretched. We were kind of hurting. And then it was also where you could make money while not working. Yeah. You know, that you don't, it's not equivalent hours that you put in with the outcome from it. And in fact, if I did the math on it now, it's my hourly wage is nightmarishly low because <laughs> it's so much work, but it's all, it's all stuff that I love. Right. Um, and, and so that's what made me go, well, you know what? Nobody's doing this online. Nobody has these things available for instant. And I know that there are instant downloads that exist. So that's what sent me down this pathway was going, how do I make this so people can get it right away? And then I, um, I was able to get my my partners in this to foolishly agree that I want to keep it as affordable as we can for people um, because actors are poor and we want to be able to to get it and so that's been more of my mission than anything um, it is funny because I keep getting advice from people to make it more expensive and I'm like you know this is not this is more what everybody's selling it for and and um, and I keep trying to default to let me do what, what I would wish, if I were the customer, I'd wish that it were like that. Right. So that's where a lot of that's come from. So I do like free updates and all that kind of stuff. So I guess when it got rolling, you know, I was recording people here. I was getting some recordings from students and things, and, and I did. Tra I, this is my third camper van. So I've had camper vans okay. before this, and I do some traveling. That you weren't way. as public about those then. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> Although a few years ago, um, I had taken one and we went on about a 10 or 12,000 mile road trip all the way around the U.S. and up into Canada. That was back in, I don't know, my son was like 14 at the time. So okay. I guess that was like nine years ago. Yeah. So something like 2009. Yeah. Something, 
that. Um, and we did a road trip, and so I was hitting like a number of cities. I'd spend a week there to try to get a bunch of recordings. And then my wife and son came and joined me, and we made our way around. And, and um, um, so it's happened that way. And I've also sometimes I've flown somewhere and rented a car, but that just gets too expensive. Right. Um, so just trying to keep the costs low, because especially because I'm making like my last trips that I've done have all been for more recordings for the materials that already exist. Right. So I'm kind of not making money off of doing these trips in some ways. I'm um, the way that I am is. If I think if I keep making the products better and keep giving them for free to people as updates, that more people will go, oh, yeah, this guy's invested in this. And so that's that's why I keep heading down that road. Yeah. yeah. What's uh, have what, what kind of resistance have you had from locals? Some people say no. And and um, every once in a while, somebody somebody does think that it's weird that I'm making money off of doing these recordings. Right. Um, but mostly people get it. Well, mostly either people have no clue what the hell I'm really even talking about or they get it and they go, well, of course you have to. Otherwise, how can you afford to be driving around in your van? Right. You know, and doing these recordings or, or like this summer, this summer, I'm going to do a van trip to New York to get more New York recordings. And I'm also going to, when we go over to, we're doing the summer in Prague again. Yeah. And we're over there. I'm going to take a couple of weeks to go to London to try to get more Cockney London right. working class recordings. So most people get that somehow I have to pay for going and doing this. But once in a while, somebody doesn't. And so I'm always just like, don't worry about it. It's, right. it's no worries. You know, if you'd rather not. Um, Sometimes I used to have to force myself and once in a while I still have to but I had to force myself to go All right, my job today is to go out and get five people to say no to me <laughs> because I hated sort of Approaching people right. I, I've kind of always been a shy guy believe it or not. Yeah, I know and um, And so I had to convince myself to do that It's kind of that salesman's approach of you got to get so many no's today and I'd actually have trouble getting enough no's you know, because people would keep saying yes if I would actually yeah. ask them. Uh, I, I realize that I keep tending to be too reasonable. Yeah. Wh where do you approach people? Like, what's a common place for you to go? Yeah, my defaults tend to be like tourist welcome centers and libraries. Those oh, okay. are my really good defaults. Because that's where polite people are. <laughs> well, I, I mean, at the tourism welcome centers, and I'll even tell them this flat out, because sometimes they'll say, why did you come here? And I'll say, well, because your job is to be nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, either they might, oftentimes those people are locals, so they're right. good examples. Or sometimes they'll be the ones who lead me to somebody. They'll say, oh, you know who you need to talk to. you yeah. got to talk to Dirty John, which is one of my favorite <laughs> referrals was getting sent to interview Dirty John in, in a small town in Mississippi. And he was amazing. <laughs> That's he funny. Was a great human being. Yeah. So so you are from Iowa. Um, yeah. The the only thing so when I was when I was uh doing lights for Straight No Chaser, one of the guys uh is from Des Moines, right? Yeah. And uh he would always call it the flyover state. Nobody's ever been to Iowa. They just know what it looks like from yeah. ten thousand feet in the air, right? <laughs> Um, and then you went to Nebraska. What, what's that? Squares of things growing, like big mile by mile yeah. squares. Yeah. Uh, and you went to Nebraska, right? Yeah, I went to grad school in Nebraska, okay. which is where my wife was doing her undergrad. Okay. 
that's where I'm, I met my undergraduate wife. <laughs> oh, she's yeah. only one year younger than me, though. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> we yeah. could. That's that's another topic for another day. Um, but uh, appropriate. Topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, where'd you get your undergrad? I went to a little tiny school about 12 miles from my hometown called Buena Vista. You got to properly mispronounce it. It's right. Buena Vista College. Now it's Buena Vista University. Oh, moving um, on up. It's Storm Lake, Iowa. Yeah. What's the it's mascot? A really small place. The Beavers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> beavers. So they're the BV Beavers. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> okay. And then I became a Cornhusker. Yeah, no, I knew the Nebraska one. <laughs> that one's that one's easy. <laughs> Uh, and did you ever meet Johnny Carson? Because isn't no, that his school, right? I never did. It wasn't his school at the time that oh, I went there. Because okay. I went there in ancient times. I, I graduated from there in 91. Okay. Yeah, so ancient, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, great. So I want to switch to education a little bit. Uh, sure. And um, I, I know that you have been teaching on the university setting now, what, 20 years? Is that about right? I've been at UH for 18. Okay. And then before that, I was at DePaul. I was one year part-time and then two years full-time. And then prior to that, I was six years at Chicago State University. Okay. Teaching English composition. I just, I just assumed because you're only uh, 35, I just assumed, you know, uh, you're uh, very kind. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, but you've <laughs> been, you've got it reversed. I'm 53. Are you really? <laughs> I am. Oh, yeah. Hey, that was a good guess. Um, it was. It was. Uh, Very complimentary. Good guess. Thank you. I, I will say, if you shave your beard, you won't look 53, but uh, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, you'll look much older. Anyway, so... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you'll finally be able to see the wrinkles. <laughs> so, you, so you've been at UH for practically 20 years, though. So 18, yeah. you said 18. Okay. So uh, when you started there, it was a much different, uh, much different department. Yeah. Um, and now it's kind of transferred or gotten over to being more of a grad school feel, uh, which not a complaint, just a, a, something that, that as an undergrad graduate, it feels like I've seen that sort of shift from yeah. kind of the, the undergrads running the department to a grad school, more of a shift into a focus of grad school. And I say that as an, I'm going to hold up yeah. that I love the undergraduate program, um, uh, so it's a the undergraduate program I would say is approaching a conservatory oh, okay. sort of feel to it. Yeah, so it's a BFA now. Yeah. So, oh, okay. Okay. See, so yeah. didn't have that luxury, um, but that's okay. But the the one thing that in education world, the one thing that UH has kind of been put on the map with is that summer program, right? Uh, the yeah, that made a big difference. Yes, yeah, that the, summer. Uh, MA program for teachers. Yeah. Right, and you and you have a big part in it, I assume, or or you you at least I teach during. It. Okay. I used to. I don't anymore. Yeah. Okay. I first it was only the first three years of it I taught voice. Okay. And then a few years later, well, Michelle Lopez Rios came in, um, who's one of our alums, mm -hmm. and she came back and has been teaching in the summer most summers. But then there was a, a year when she wasn't able to, and so I filled in for her okay. that summer, uh, which was fun to touch base with them. Um, and they were still using some audio that I'd recorded for that class, so it was funny. I'd meet all these people who had heard my voice but had never met they me. They connect you. Yeah. 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 Um, and so it was really good to touch base with it again. I think it's an amazing program. Mm -hmm. Jackie DeMontmullen is the one who designed that. and. Jessica Ferraroni's taken it over. Jessica's 
Jessica Rocks. She's right. been a, she's a great. She's now teaching our freshman acting classes, and she's really outstanding. Great. Yeah. So you so then so then you're focusing more right now on those undergrads. Uh, during the school year, yeah. yeah, it's that um, I'm my issue right now in the summer is I'm gone. I yeah. try to. <laughs> this is also part of what keeps me here is that I try to get the hell out of Houston for as much of the summer as I can. So, I don't know like, why. Why? Why would that be the oh, case? Man. I can't. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yep. Um, so with those undergrads, so one thing, again, I'm, I'm not blown mm -hmm. smoke, but you know, I only have people I like on here. So, uh, <laughs> there are always a couple of exceptions, but the, the, the thing I, of, yeah, of course, clearly that's going to be the title of this particular podcast, <laughs> exception to the rule. Uh, but one of the things that I, as a teacher have kind of taken from you probably directly. And I, I kind of model my classroom a little bit after yours is and don't take offense to this but you uh have a way of not taking yourself seriously clearly and or too seriously but you respect the content and so students um enjoy being taught by you because you're gonna have fun with it you're not taking yourself too seriously you know that it's theater it's an art form it's how you feel you know, everybody's answer is correct as long as it's justified. I say that all the time in my mm -hmm. classroom. Yeah. yeah. But um, you, but you still respect the content. You still have a knowledge of it. You still teach it with that sort of flair of, you know, you, you've got to understand this content in order to be the best at what you want to be. But let's have fun doing it. Um, yeah. And so I've always kind of envied that about you. And I kind of tried to, on the high school level, take that and adapt it for those kids because they are different kids they're mm -hmm. not paying to be there uh yeah, some of them right. don't want to be there uh whereas you know most of the time i'm sure you've had some kids that don't want to be in your class as well <laughs> but for the most part those kids are invested they're choosing yeah. to be there yeah. um so i just it's I, a lot harder teaching people who don't want to be there yeah but i feel like where i learned to teach was at chicago state university um when i was teaching english composition because the um, uh, it was a largely African American university, um, and it was an it was like an inner city Chicago university, and um, and the students were angry about having to be in my class in general because they were they were usually in it because they'd already taken some English credits somewhere else, like at a community college, and they hadn't learned much about writing. And so they got stuck in like a remedial, a remedial writing class with me. And, um, and I didn't know that much about English, like teaching it until I was doing it. And thank God I had an amazing mentor who told me, here's how you teach it. And it was a lot of work, but she was right. And then the, the, the I mean, the reason I got hired there, because a friend of mine was teaching there. And they said, hey, we need another guy. To, we need somebody else to teach this. And he said, well, this friend of mine, he might be interested. And they said, well, what's he like? And he said, well, he's a lot like me. And they basically hired me because, they, because my friend Mark was so phenomenal at it. And the thing that both of us got was that we knew we were stupid. So we knew to follow directions. And then we also both got that it has to be entertainment. You know, um, How do you keep people engaged when they don't want to be there? Right. So... You know, I, I got to say, in some ways, what I'm doing now is so much easier than what you're doing, <laughs> you yeah. know, because you are dealing with more people who don't necessarily want to be there. Um, I've just got people who don't want to be here on certain days. 
but then right. they get plugged in and you're dealing with some people who just don't want to be there and that's that's hard man yeah yeah so so how do you find your way in to the people who are clearly just disengaged yeah so one of the things that I do with my schools, I kind of help lead those uh, the the professional development lessons with climate, right? Just based on climate, how do you how do you yeah. how do you keep the climate positive, and how do you keep your kids in a positive mind frame? And it it is as simple, not as easy, but as simple as just getting to know that kid. What is what is something that yeah. makes that kid tick? Uh, an interest in that kid and sure you have those kids that are never going to ever ever let you in is it because I'm a male and they have father figure issues maybe you know there are different mm -hmm. different elements to it but you got to try you have to at least make the attempt given that effort that yeah. you know what's your favorite basketball team I, you know whatever it is um, yeah. and then you relate to them that way I, I do something stupid where I listen to modern day music and I, oh, so I make, I can make reference to these things and it yeah, throws right. them off. It completely throws them off when I, <laughs> when I know when they talk about Cardi B, I'm like, oh, ew. you know, like they, they, yeah. they don't understand this, this middle-aged white Jewish man is <laughs> making reference to something that only I'm supposed to find cool. And I'm like, no, no, no. Do I like it? Not necessarily, but, but the the reaction that i get i i love that part so yeah, that, you know that that's that's, cool. that's worth the effort and uh well and i bet it makes them feel like they've been seen mm -hmm. or been heard you know yeah and and especially <laughs> people middle school and high school they just don't feel seen or heard especially if they're somehow an outsider yeah you know which most most people are in one way or another oh you're the guy that taught me swing the arms so that you can do the cockney accent oh there you, you go yeah yeah so you don't oh, you're not I... swinging your arms that's not fair <laughs> <laughs> anyway but uh semi-pro <laughs> yeah semi yeah what uh what is something you want to see from that first or second year student that comes in what is something you want them to be better prepared with out out of high school theater to be honest, it's not even a theater thing, but it's totally about theater. But it's uh, that they have a calendar and they know how to use it. Okay. <laughs> I know that's that sounds so simplistic, but they've been kind of babied by their parents usually too much. Like they haven't had to figure their stuff out for themselves. And so it's that's the biggest thing that I feel like our freshmen have to learn is discipline, is how do I show up on time and do all my stuff on time and stay in communication and like them needing to be responsible for it. And it's hard because you've got your helicopter parents slash absent parents. I mean, you get this really wide range of things. And, um, you know, I'm, I don't think my son knew discipline going into school. Um, and, and it all happens for different reasons. Who knows why? Like with my son, I think it was primarily because he did well enough in school that he didn't have to work very hard. So then he didn't know what hard work was when he came up to it. Um, and maybe I could have done more as a parent or maybe his teachers could have done more, but it's really hard to say. So, so that, you know, discipline, I would always rather work with a student who's not as good, right. but who's working really hard putting forth the I effort with a student who's talented but who's blew, blowing stuff off right yeah that's uh i know that feeling yeah when i when i actually kind of pause for a moment 
and I see the lives in front of me that are changing, like the people who's that I can see their their figure because you know for kids from middle school through through undergrad especially they're trying to figure out who the hell they are you know they're going through different phases of how do I cope with living and and it's creating the person that they'll become and so when I stop and I look at them and I see the changes that are happening or I see them finally awakening to potential and things like that. That's what gets me through. Um, I, you know, I joke that I'm this old vampire who's sucking the blood of the young. And, and that's absolutely true because it's their, it's their energy and it's their awakening that, is, that for me is the payoff. That's, yeah. I, the reason I got into teaching and that I got tired of acting at various, I keep quitting acting and then coming back to it. But what I love about acting is not the performing, but I love the rehearsal process because it's, it's the discovery process. It's the aha. And it's the, the, like the brain explosions that happen with discovery that I love in my work. And so when I get to be a part of that with a student, that's where I get the big payoff is the, the brain explosions, the discoveries, the awakening of who they are and, and a whole new level of what's even possible that they couldn't have seen. I Like, I think back to me, I didn't know, when I went to college, I didn't know that people really acted for a living. I, I was at, about as clueless as you can get. Super small town, never done a play of any legitimacy. We'd all done, always done, um, we'd always done like melodramas and, and they were crap in our gymnasium, you know, and, and so my first play in college doing Amadeus was this awakening to, oh, my God, I had no idea it could be this. And the world that that opened up to me was just astonishing. So I'm yeah. glad you I'm glad you started talking about acting, because my next question was going to be, what's your favorite role? What's the what's the one role or maybe you can give me the top three or something. But what's what's the most uh What's your favorite role? <laughs> it's as simple yeah. as that. <laughs> if you can remember uh, that far back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, well, I love I loved doing Billy Bishop. That was really cool. Um, uh, and last summer I got to do Julius Caesar, which I, I'm fond of things that are recent. You know, uh, just like anything that's been a challenge, I love that. Um, a number of years ago, I got to do. <laughs> I got to do the dad in um, in Rabbit Hole, Howie. And it was just a really great group of people that I got to work with. And so that one was one that that's a really fond memory for me. Um, yeah, I, I. Yeah, like I said, I really love the rehearsal process and I don't I'm not a big fan of performing. So <laughs> what now was was Billy Bishop a challenge to you because there weren't there wasn't somebody to yeah. banter with? Uh, it was a challenge for me, if nothing else, just getting on the ride and going. Right. Because it was like an hour and then take a break for intermission and then come back and do another fifty minutes or whatever it yeah. was. Yeah. So it was just a like get on that horse and ride it and and uh, we did that run out there and then we did a, a run for a month at stages. Okay. But got no support the PR stuff that was supposed to happen didn't happen. So we were doing it some nights for like 
five people mm. and it was night and we, we rehearsed it in the round and never did it in the round so i was kind of re-blocking the show every night based on where the audience was actually where those five to twelve people were actually sitting so it was kind of a nightmare but um but it was it was a really cool interesting experience to come into that show having not being in the mood to do it at all right just feeling like god why are we even doing this and then getting up there and getting started and and just getting on that horse and riding it and and finding the way into it so yeah. uh going back to what you said about amadeus is that the the bug that bit you as far as the theater bug is concerned or i don't know i mean that that was what showed me that it that it could be something else altogether um that showed me that it was a, a whole new world right um that was the thing that blew my mind because I had no idea theater could do that kind of thing. You know, walking, somebody talking and being in one place and time and then doing a direct address to the audience in the middle of a scene and then walking out of that scene and things roll out of that scene and fly in and it's suddenly another place and they've been talking to us the whole time and they walk right into the scene. That kind of magic that can only happen in theater, that was, that was pretty mind-blowing there. But... Um, I don't know. I just, I, you know, I, I think I kept doing it because nobody told me that I couldn't or shouldn't. Um, luckily, I'm the youngest of five boys. And so my, my brothers had all, they all suffered so much before me that my parents had given up by the time they got to me, you know, because otherwise I don't, I don't, my dad would not have allowed me to do this. Right. Um, and so nobody was telling me no, and so I just kept going. And then I went, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I should maybe go to grad school. And then I went to grad school. Um, and it just kept moving forward. And even like this dialect stuff that I've gotten into has just been because those are the doors that kept opening. So I kept walking in that direction. Did you do voices as a kid? Were you that kid? Yeah. Yeah, I screwed yeah. around with voices. I was really shy, though. I was I was a loner and... Um, and uh, I, I I will say like the theater stuff I would kind of come out of my shell for that but then I'd be right back in it. Right. I was always a shy and I I would always choose to just stay home alone and and work. Like Johnny you know, Depp. A little bit of a workaholic. No, nothing like Johnny oh, Depp. You're, exactly. You're <laughs> like, car like you're I a carbon don't. copy of him. I mean. Yeah. That, there. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you mean is it the way that I that I look drunk when I'm walking? Yeah. No matter what well, I'm yeah. Right. Just yeah, yeah. Look drunk all the time. Yeah. 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 It's, Just kind it's of. It's those years of acid. That we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. What is something about Iowa that you miss or that you wish you had down here in Houston? The sweet corn, man. Okay the sweet corn of my hometown. The best thing about my hometown is the sweet corn, or at least what it was. There was this guy, unfortunately, he just recently passed, but there was a guy in my hometown who somehow he magically raised the best sweet corn I've ever tasted anywhere in the world. And, and the, I'm from this town of like 900 people. So he would literally park a little wagon downtown and he'd have the corn under a tarp and he'd have a little can there or a little uh, uh, container where people would put their money to pay for it. Mm. So you just put money in it, you know, and, and so the, the, the ability to just park a little wagon uptown and people would, you could trust people to do it. Um, that was cool. 
but even better than that was the quality of that sweet corn. So yeah. sweet is sweet corn. I'm naive when it comes to that. Is sweet corn yes. the same as a regular corn on a stock, but it's just uh... no, it's a different kind of corn. Okay. Yeah. So like the corn on a stock, uh, 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 on a stock is um, uh, like when I was a kid, I didn't do much of it, but detasseling is one of the jobs you do, where you'd go through and take off the tops of some of the corn, right? But not all of it, because that's what would let it sort of cross pollinate and stuff. And um, uh, the corn that you'd raise in the field that dries and, and, and that gets fed to, fed to cows and sure. turned into ethanol and, and turned into sugar and all yeah. this stuff that's really kind of horrible for us. Um, that's a different kind of corn. Yeah, sweet corn is, is, a, is a different beast altogether. And okay. it's, it is magical. Not, Monsanto hasn't messed with that yet? Oh yeah, I'm sure they have now. Yeah, but they hadn't when I was growing up so much. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm sure they've messed with it now. Yeah, well, thank you, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I, absolutely. I I try to keep these as short and sweet as possible because all ten of my fans, you know, I don't know how much time they have to listen. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, but damn it, those ten people love. Oh, you, they man. oh they're very invested, very passionate fans. So once again, thank you, Jim Johnson, for coming onto the podcast. It means a lot to me. Might not sound that way through some of those harsh jokes that I was throwing down with you, uh, but uh, I really do look up to you and, and and adore the teachings that you have given me over the past, what feels like, 80 years or so. Anyway, enjoy this curtain call. This is a another student section. This is going back to what we recorded about a month ago with some students talking about what characteristics do, do they want to see in a high school director. And some of these answers are a little interesting. So uh, stay tuned for that. It's just a couple minutes of those. Thanks uh, again for tuning in. Make sure that you are subscribing in iTunes. Make sure that you are checking me out on Twitter, Mr. Blake Miner. Make sure you're emailing me if you have anything you'd like to tell me, blake.miner at gmail.com. Check it out on Facebook, Minor Wisdom, all different types of things, or you can just search for me. I'll be your friend on Facebook. Why not? What have I got to lose, you know? And don't just don't spam me, please. Anyway, enjoy these student answers. Again, what characteristics would you like to see in a director at the high school level? Thanks so much. Have a great week, everyone. Curtain call. I think like the qualities of a director are like very important. You know, I'm not like I'm not gonna name names, but like the class that I've been with right now, we've been with two separate directors, and I think that a big difference of what makes a director is somebody who is actually here like to direct. And I think that what what makes a director is when somebody has a passion to teach kids and to know that this isn't just like a stopping point in their career and that this isn't a path for them to go on and do big things. This is a way for them to make sure that the kids that they teach are gonna do big things. And I think that in order for you to be a director, you really need that heart, and that's something that is not given to everybody. I think oftentimes as we go in these fields and we're all like pursuing theater and majoring in theater, we think, okay, well, if I don't make it, at least I can just become a theater, for a like, a theater teacher for a couple of years, and then I'll go on to do my career. But I think that the people who do theater to become a theater director and to work with kids that are our age are the people who are going to have the biggest influence in that area. And I think that those are the people who have only been with us for such a short amount of time but have already influenced us for many years to come and have sort of changed the path of our lives. And I think that's what makes a good director is somebody who's truly passionate about 
doing that and wanting to better their students over themselves? Um, <laughs> I think the qualities, like one important quality to me is, um, does this sound rude? I don't know. But you need to have like um, a difference between a director and yeah, a sorry. friend. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. um, because there's one thing of like going to your director and going, oh my God, hey. And then there's one thing going to a director asking for act like legitimate help. Because um, if your director, I'm not saying your director can't be your friend, that's cool and all, but like there needs to be like a nice fine line because if it's not really aligned, then things can just get messy and things can just go wrong. So I just think that's, that's like really important when having a director, like a director, a friend. You can have both, but make them separate when you need to and all that. She's like the best all around. And I think that one of the reasons that she was able to build that connection with us is when she, cause she came in our sophomore year and when she came in, it was very obvious that, cause she taught the tech class and she didn't know anything about tech <laughs> and she was very open about that. She was open about her skill set, what she was good at and what she wanted to do with her position and she was good at what she did and she was, what she said she was good at, she was good at and I think honestly her being, um, good at what she did made us respect her and honestly I think that respect played into a big part of us like actively seeking to make a connection with her because we knew that like oh this is someone that we need to be in good with this is someone who we know is going to be there for us and help us and has our best interest in mind because we had seen like the things that she did her first year when she came in and like improved our program and stuff. I think Honesty and experience are the two most important qualities for a director, like no matter high school or like professional. Came in, like you said, sophomore year, and she was able to see some, hmm, what's the word? Talent. <laughs> some hidden talent, yes. But also she was able to see um, what didn't work and what needed to improve directing wise and the relationship with the students. And she, basically pretty much fixed it. And she made promises, she's like, okay, I won't ever do that to you guys. So we felt safe with her and that we could trust her. Um, and she was honest and open about what she didn't know what to do and what she did know what to do. And she could admit when she didn't like have everything like under control and she could get help, which like help from other directors, help from clinicians and she could take like notes and she taught, I guess she taught that to all of us, like criticism and you have to take it all and just learn from it. Um, also an experience, we've had a lot of directors, tech directors, um, and the ones that I've have had, um, experience is a big thing for technical elements and I think it, personally speaking, it'd be good for people before they go and teach that they learn some stuff themselves. You know, experience and letting your kids know that you understand things and have things under your belt and that you can, that they can put their performance and experience in theater into your hands as a director, I think that definitely helps growing kids in the theater. She's not babying us. She's not sugarcoating things. And she has told me this multiple times too. The difference between us and the kids who go to the schools where, you know what, they do amazing productions and they have all the money and the sets and they have everything, but 
when I also see those kids at a rehearsal somewhere else, they, they think they are like everything. And I just, there's gonna be a different when you, difference when you go into the real world and I step out there and I'm like, you know what? I know I have to work for what I'm gonna get because that's what I've been taught because she has never walked up to me with a silver platter and been like, here you go. You get this role because you wanna do musical theater for the rest of life, your life, so I'm gonna give this to you. She gives me things when I fit the character, when I earn what I'm getting. And a lot of, it happens a lot in high school that the kids don't get that. So then they step out into the real world to do this and it's a huge shock that, oh my God, you're not the best. There are a million other girls who look like you. I just went to College Unifieds and literally every, there was like, almost all the girls look the same and almost all the boys look the same. Mm -hmm. Like I was someone who, actually did not look like everyone else and it was very surprising like there were so many people that just like looked exactly the same and I sat outside audition room audition rooms all the girls sounded the same they all sang the same style songs like every you know it's really tough out there but to them they deserve it because they think they're the best you should think really highly of yourself you do but I don't think people like understand that like it's not always going to be easy because there's a huge talent pool out there and Minor.